Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. I want you to turn in your Bibles or on your phone or on your computers to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 38. Remember, the church has been launched in the book of Acts. And we pick up some details about what the church engaged in, and it's very, very important to us. Otherwise, Jesus went to heaven. The, it seemed, the gospel seemed to leave off where the apostles were scattered. Even at the empty tomb, there was not a gathering. After Jesus had told them he would rise from the dead, they had a lot of doubt. But then when Pentecost happened, Jesus went up before them, and Peter preached the first message Over 3,000 men were added to the church, not counting women and children. We kind of pick up there in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 38, and the people were surrounding him, and he had preached to them, and he told them straight out, you are the guilty ones of crucifying our Savior. Now, some people in the church pick on pastors who are very open and honest about what the scripture says about judgment, about health, about transgender, about sex, about male and female, about politicians who are crooked, and you get disappointed. And yet, if we keep silence, we will cease to be the church. Peter was not silent about indicting them that you're the ones that crucified our Savior. You consented to it. You approved of it. Oh, you may have stood in the background, but you didn't come out into the forefront and fight for him. And so they were pierced in their hearts. The Holy Spirit convicted them just like he convicted you and me of our sin. And we bowed down and accepted him as our Savior. So they wanted to know what they could do. And beginning in verse 38, Here's what Peter told them to do. Repent. That means, that means not only saying you're sorry. I, I guess when I was in the army in 1978, they said, about face. And you went in a different direction. Leaving the old behind. That's what it means to repent. Not just feeling sorry for your sins. And be baptized. Now, baptism doesn't save you. We all know that. But that's the immediate follow-up. That's the first act of obedience. When you repent of your sins and believe in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't a second filling This is immediate. 
Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will go back to your old ways, to your old friends, to your old habits. And that's not how Jacob preaches. That's how I preach. He preaches with a smile on his face. I have more of a sternness on his face. Is that correct? Without the Holy Spirit. How many times did you try to turn over a new leaf? How many times? Hundreds of times until the Holy Spirit entered into your lives. And he caused you to hunger and thirst for him. You never thirsted for him until the Holy Spirit dwelt in you. It wasn't because you were baptized or because you went to church or to a small group or to a Sunday school class. It's because the Holy Spirit entered you. If you do not know that power, the evidence will be an unchanged life. Amen? Now, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Well, what happened to them? What did they do after this happened? It reminds me of people that are led to Christ. They come to church, and they receive Christ as their Savior. They go back to their lives, and they never get connected to the body of Christ. And they become orphaned Christians. I've entitled this message, Purpose Driven Small Groups. Nothing to do with any other purpose-driven stuff that you guys know out there. That's what I came up on my own, in my heart, in my fellowship with God on my own. Small groups have a purpose. You're going to see exactly what happens when believers gather together, beginning in verse 42. These new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. As I was thinking about this yesterday, I, I thought of the importance of the home. And although there are a lot of stats I could bring to you this morning, I thought immediately about the single parent home or the foster care situation. And I just want to bring one stat out, stat out to you about the foster care system, which we're so thankful for. And I'm thankful that someone took me in their home when I became a believer. And I've also taken two people in my home when they were unbelievers. 
So I know something a little bit about that without officially being adopted, but all of us have been adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But of all those that become of age of 18 and, and go out of the foster care system, that 50% of foster children have no earnings within four years of them aging out of the foster care system. And those who do have an average annual income of $7,500. How important is that small unit, that small group, that home, that mom and dad to that child and that child's future? What about in the, in the single parent home? There's a lot of stats you are so familiar with. There's over 18.5 million children in a single parent home. And one of the stats that just jumps out at me, out of all the high school dropouts, 71% come from homes where there is only a single parent. That care, that nurturing that must take place in that small group is vitally important. It cannot take place in a larger setting such as this. I turn to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I think about many of us who won't start a small group unless there's about 15, 20 people. Our Lord selected how many people to disciple? Twelve. Twelve people, and he is God himself. It's amazing that God did not come into the 21st century and become like a Billy Graham where he could speak to every single person all over the world with the technology that we have. He didn't do that. He took a small band of men and he began to equip them. These men had all kinds of problems and difficulties. After all that Jesus poured into them, some denied him. He had to deal with selfishness as James and James and John jockeyed for position, pushed by their mother to, to have a great position in his kingdom, actually sitting on his left or right hand of his throne. He had to deal with these that equipped with power that went into the towns and villages and had power to cast out demons and do miracles, and they came back bragging to all the church, look at the power that we had. He had to deal with those kinds of things. He had to deal with these men who denied little children to come to him and hear about him and have him pray over them. He had to deal with these things, and his teachings needed to be heard by these 12. They, they could not be heard in a larger setting, such as the five or 4,000 when he was teaching them. They struggled with prejudice. He had to teach them about loving the Gentiles. He spent even more time with three people. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? He took three people up there with him and began to teach them some things. Remember in the garden when he went through his most difficult situations? He took only three people with him. Do you see how important that small group is? They all changed the world because of what they learned when they got alone with Jesus. And they actually gave their lives for the gospel. I was also studying about China and the 
over 18 million people in China that are meeting in homes and in caves. We call it the underground church because of the persecution they receive from Xi Jinping. He has definitely intensified his efforts by persecuting those underground and floating trial balloons in our country to find out where we are meeting. You guys have to read the paper if you don't understand what's been happening in the last day or two. Well, do you know that if you're caught meeting in an underground church in China, that they will fine you, I'll put it in American dollars, up to $44,000. Now, you think it can't hit home with us. What were they trying to do to churches that were open during COVID? They were trying to find us, just like they were trying to find businesses that uh, stayed open during COVID. We don't get our marching orders from the government. We get our marching orders from God himself. You see how important small groups are. So, why small groups from a kingdom perspective? Well, let me give you a couple passages that help you understand and recall and remember what our tasks are. Remember, I said in my prayer, God has given each one of you the gift of reconciliation. Now, can you imagine you're going to stand before God? Try to picture that. And you stand before God and you told him, God, I did not tell one person how to come to Jesus Christ, not one. I thank you for what you did for me, but I did not tell anybody about how to get back into a right relationship with you. It seems unthinkable, does it? But God has given you and me that privilege and that gift, and he wants us to use it. Not only that, after you get people into the kingdom of God, the task has just begun. It's like giving birth to a child. Now your journey has begun. Who would leave a child in kindergarten for the rest of their lives? In 2 Timothy 2.2, he reminds us of some of the things that we are supposed to do and probably can only take place in a smaller setting. And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be able to be qualified to teach others. Now, I'm going to read it from the Living Bible to help you comprehend it even a little bit better. For you, that's all of us who believe in Jesus, much, must teach others those things you and many others had heard me speak about, whether it be in a congregation like this or whether it be what Paul taught them, teach these great truths to trustworthy men who will in turn pass them on to others. Let me give you another passage that I actually charged Jacob with on our transition day, Colossians 1, 26 through 29. The mystery, that's the church, and that Gentiles can come into the kingdom of God, that Jews and Gentiles are one. That was the great mystery that was hidden from the prophets. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, 
but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, that's you and me, to them God has chosen, that's us, to make known among the Gentiles, the Gentiles is a fancy word that means the rest of the people in the world that are not Jews. Make known what? The glorious riches of his mystery, or this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Your job, my job, is not done until we do that. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Two of those verses I want to reiterate in the Living Bible. Remember, that's a paraphrase, but that's often what we do as pastors and teachers. We paraphrase after we read the Scripture just to help it hit home. Beginning in verse 28, so everyone we, we go, or everywhere we go, we talk about the Messiah to all who will listen, warning them and teaching them as well as we know how. We want to be able to present each one to God perfect because of what Christ has done for each one of them. This is my work. And I can do it only because Christ's mighty energy is at work within me. This is the job and the privilege of every single believer that has the Holy Spirit in them. Churches, as has been already stated, must grow smaller in order to connect and educate and serve. Actually, I came up with the saying when I thought about this, Growing larger because of the Great Commission, smaller because of the need to be on mission. You like that rhyme? I was going to make a little tune of it, but I didn't. Grow larger because of the Great Commission, smaller because of the need to be on mission. It's so important. Let me put it this way. If you attend church each week for 52 weeks, We'll say an average of 30 minutes a sermon. Might go a little over today. And then you multiply that by 52. What are you going to get? Okay, 1,560 minutes, a little over one day a year if you attend every single week. If you keep this up for a lifetime, and let's say you live to be 75 years old, that would mean you would have literally... Under one year of teaching of what God has done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do in your lives. That means you wouldn't have even finished one year of education in the educational system. How smart would you be? Do you see how important that small unit is? Babies in Christ need families for spiritual nourishment. Let me recall this passage. Hebrews 5.12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. In other words, he's saying in a nice, kind way, you're in kindergarten. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This only takes place in a small setting. The day I received Christ as Lord and Savior, I begged God to give me a home. He gave me a home where in this home, this family began to teach me the truths of God. I learned more in that home than I did in the church because I was only at church, at least under the preaching of the gospel, only a few minutes a week. Baby Christians need to mature, and that takes place one on one or one on five or one on ten. That's why they teach you when your group grows to split it up for this reason. A lot of the quiet people will never ask questions and it will never grow. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I was one of those daredevils. And even if I looked kind of ignorant, I would always raise my hand and ask the question so that the teacher would explain it to me through my brain and I would get it. But if I kept quiet, I wouldn't have gotten it. A lot of other people wanted to ask questions and they didn't. That's exactly what will happen to many people who believe in Jesus Christ and don't get involved in small groups or the church becomes too large. How many of you might have questions right now, even perhaps something I've already said this morning and you'd like to ask the question? Would you raise your hand? Anybody here? Okay. Go, what's your question? No, don't, don't. I don't want to ask a question. Not right now. You see what I'm saying? It, it would take up all the time and, and some would be embarrassed and some wouldn't want to share at all. So growth is only going to take place in a smaller setting. There's also something very, very important that you might not be aware of, that you are incomplete as a believer in Jesus Christ pertaining to your involvement in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. You are incomplete all by yourself as pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let me explain it this way. God has called all of us to serve. Amen? Therefore, he has given you a gift or gifts. He has given you the Holy Spirit. You already know that. That is a gift. He has given you the gift of eternal life. That is a gift. But he has also given you a gift to serve him and the body of Christ. Notice I said the body of Christ. You cannot serve the body of Christ all by yourself. Let me draw your attention to this truth. Beginning in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I'm not going to read all those passages, but just a few in chapter 12. To help nail home the point that you have been ordained to be involved in a small group. And your gift is needed. Kind of reminds me of the Uncle Sam signs. Remember? I want you. We need you in these small groups. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Those gifts are wisdom, knowledge, faith, 
gifts of healing, miraculous power, prophecy. Many of you in the church world are familiar with these gifts. God has bestowed upon the church, and he has given it to us as he has desired. He continues, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. Sometimes you may be envious of a gift or a spiritual gift that someone else has. Often, one could be envious of the gifts that are displayed on stage. But God has distributed those gifts as he has determined on his own. Now, he reminds us in verse 27, you. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. He explains in common sense terms by saying this, and I'm not going to read the whole passage as he talks about the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Just think, the eye sees something it wants, it needs the feet to take him there. That's Paul's explanation of how the body of Christ operates. We need you in those small groups. Better yet, the kingdom of God has given you a gift to use in the body of Christ. It may be able to be used when everyone gathers together on a Sunday morning. But not all of your gifts are going to be used on a Sunday morning. You're all sitting there. All of you have a gift. You are not exercising your gift at this moment. If this is what you do week in and week out, the kingdom of God will not advance as much as it could because you are only sitting in a seat on a Sunday. Yes, your gift is used outside the body of Christ, like a gift of evangelism or the gift of hospitality. However, you must not forget that God has given you that gift to exercise in the body. Wonder how much thought you have actually given that. He has given you a gift to operate with the body. Yes, some of those gifts can be used outside the body, but he has given you that gift or gifts to use in the body of Christ. This and more are some of the whys of a small group. So what is a small group? What is a small group? Actually, by definition, it says a collection of three or more individuals, this is a dictionary definition, who interact about some common problem or interdependent goal and can exert mutual influence over one another. What did Jesus tell us? Where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. In context, Jesus affirms that he would be divinely present amongst his disciples as they seek, seek unity as they render decisions. That's in context, which is rightly understood also as an affirmation of his omnipresence and his deity when we gather together, whether in a small group or a larger group. Listen, small groups begin 
in the home. Your home is your first small group, your first trial. What the home is to the children, so is a small group to a believer. Let me repeat that. What the home is to a child, we just read some stats about foster care, so that small group becomes to that believer. I remember all the questions I asked, not all of them, but many questions that I asked in those small groups or when I was one-on-one with the ministers or when I was in a class in seminary or in college. It's that one-on-one where things got through my brain and to my heart. It's through that one-on-one or that group setting where people began to care for me and love me. Remember what Proverbs teaches us, and then you can go to Deuteronomy, and it reminds us of our responsibility, mom and dad, or single parent. Proverbs says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Again, I, amongst many other parents here, have had the privilege to see this truth fulfilled in our family. Imperfect parents but yet took God at his word and taught these truths to our children who are now teaching it to their grandchildren. The home is vitally important. It begins with mom and dad teaching their children the things of God. He has commanded us to do it, as I do marital counseling, and I did some yesterday, premarital counseling. I remind people of Basically, an author reminded me of this. What if God desired to make you holy rather than happy when you meet someone? You see, God has a bigger plan than just two people coming together. What if he wants to make you holy? And then secondly, when I actually do the ceremony, I remind people of God's ultimate plan when you get married, which is what? To raise up a godly offspring because he's building a kingdom of priests. Where is he going to get those priests from? From you. So you see that small group setting is so vitally important to your children, but also vitally important to that new believer in Jesus Christ. Too often you and me scratch our heads and go like this, what happened to that person? I just led to Christ. They're hardly ever around the people of God. They haven't changed their ways. It's because we haven't gotten them in a good small group and nurtured them and helped them grow. Actually, we need their gift and they need our gifts in order for all of us to grow in Jesus Christ. They will be a, there are some people that have genuinely made a profession of faith, I believe, and have never been a part of a small group. They have never been trained or taught. And therefore, well, I know I was brought up in a religion where I heard a little bit about Jesus, but if I stayed in that religion, I probably wouldn't have grown much at all. That's what will happen to a believer that does not get involved in small groups. Now, the types of small groups are from A to Z, but just to help your memory understand small groups, you have On Sunday morning, we have a men's small group. We have a women's small group that meet every single Sunday at 9 o'clock. You can continue to be cared and loved. I always remind the men, hey, I go there 
quite often, I go to the men's group. I'm the pastor. And yet I go to rub shoulders with my fellow brothers in Christ. And I want to hear the word. I want to fellowship with them. I want to pray with them. I want to do life with them. I want to be a part of it. I'm not exempt as a pastor. I want to be a part of that. You have some prayer. We're going to be starting a prayer group here on Tuesdays. Here, right here. For 12 weeks. We have classes on marriage and the family. I lead one of the parent 101 that will be meeting on Wednesdays. We have student groups that will be meeting. Freedom groups, freedom from all kinds of addictions. Businessmen groups, outreach groups, hobby groups. I mean, when you get together with someone, you could go out on Saturdays and ride a bike. Get together, open up a passage of scripture, talk about the Lord for a few minutes, care about one another in that bike group, and go off on your way. That can be a small group. Hobbies. Be intentional. You see, I've always taught this to my family and to the church. I used to referee basketball, and this is a, a full timeout, and this is a 30-second timeout. You don't take time out to be a child of the king. It's as you go, everywhere you go, in everything you do, in everything you say is an opportunity to be a part of a small group setting. I've had the privilege of playing pickleball the last few weeks. And there's a gentleman that's totally Jewish, and he's asking me about sacrifices. So I'm there on the pickleball court, and I actually get together with the small group, and I begin talking about it. I'm sending him scriptures. I'm sending him Isaiah 53. I'm sending him videos from, from I Met Messiah. You see, small group setting, educating, teaching, growing. In anything you do, you can make it into a small group setting, and you can become the facilitator of that. What goes on in a small group? Let's go back to our teaching in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. First of all, the very thing I just said. Notice in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. But the teaching, without the teaching of God's word. Okay, I remember when I got saved. The enemy immediately attacked me with who do you think you are? You think you're saved? You really think you're going to be? <laughs> Did you say all the right things? I mean, you think you're getting into heaven? Just, I, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. And the enemy bugged me for two solid weeks. He hounded me in my heart, in my brain. I was miserable. I would get on the couch and I would cry out to God and I would hear other people's testimonies. And I said, God, that didn't happen to me until I went to the Word. Until people showed me in the word, the family showed me in the word. Whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved. You have passed from death unto life. Wow. And finally, I was set free because someone taught me the word. I would have went around miserable the rest of my life. Feeling, I remember this one group I was with, the Nazarenes, who believed you can always lose your salvation and everything that happens. If you smoke the cigarette, you're going to hell. He said a cuss word, oh, you just, you're going to hell now, you just lost your salvation. I go, okay, what happens? I sinned and I died. Am I going to heaven or hell was the great question I would ask them. I got away from her. I dated a Nazarene girl. Her daddy was a preacher. I got far away from her as I could. <laughs> every other day I seemed to be going to hell because it seemed like every other day I was sinning. 
I was choking on that cigarette. It was a different kind of cigarette back then, but. So teaching, vitally important. I could be forgiven. You can be forgiven. Just think about it. You get saved, and, and you, you, you know you repented of your sins. All of a sudden, you step into your first sin. Wow. God, I, I thought you saved me. I, 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 someone's got to educate you and me. Not that it's all right to sin, but they have to teach you and me about sanctification, which is a process that's going to take place for the rest of your lives. Oh, so many wonderful things happen in a small setting. Fellowship. Jesus said, when you get saved, separate yourself from the world and the friends in the world. Now, you might ask them right quick like they did in Korea. Second, you get saved. Or like Matthew in the Bible, invite them all over your house because this is going to be the last big bang you're going to have with your friends. (laughs) Invite them all over and then teach them the word. You got nothing to lose. They don't like you anyways. Invite them all over. Have a big party. Here's what happened to me. And watch everybody scatter. But after that, separate yourself. Now, I remember being single, getting saved. I was lonely. How many of you are single and, or remember when you were single? You can't find a godly man or can't find that godly girl. You're tempted to go all the wrong places to find that fellowship. Fellowship's in the church. The fellowship's in the small groups. See how important it is to have those small groups? You need that. You need to get connected. What else took place? Notice in verse 42, not only teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread. This is literally this Lord's Supper. You can do the Lord's Supper in the home. You can baptize in your pool. You are priests before God. You don't need some guy in a robe waving smoke in your face (laughs) to baptize you. All these things can take place in your home and prayer. People genuinely caring about you, your hurts, your pains, what you're going through, the things you're struggling with. All my life, I've been around accountability groups. That means when the world attacks me, I had some men around me that I would help them and they would help me. I'm telling you, if I didn't have that, I'd be back, I'd be back in the world without those small groups. In Acts 2.43, notice what else took place. Beginning in verse 43, many signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. Now, I'm not a sensationalist believing that the signs and wonders have ceased. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to find out that God poured out signs and wonders during the Moses-Joshua era, Elijah, Elisha era, and the Jesus apostolic era. There are miracles. But we know there's not been that kind of outpouring of miracles. In fact, I believe Jesus teaches us, not that we can't ask him for a miracle, but he said, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. He said that. So why are you going to go back to daddy and ask him for something that he's already given you? Right? I didn't say we couldn't pray for miracles. We all pray for miracles. But the miracle also is in your body, healing itself. Did you ever thank God for that? You get a cold? My wife's at home today. I'll wait to her. Hi, hon. 
She's been having tremendous sinus. Anybody have sinus problems here? I mean, it, it's like bricks, she says in her. It's like a big old brick going through her nose and her brain. I don't have sinus problems that much at all. I don't understand it. I'd like to see her healed. But God's using the natural process of her body as well as shots. You know, the, they have these uh, shots you can get as well as medication. Who created, who created um, medicine? God. Did you ever thank him for that? Again, I'm not saying God won't do a miracle in your life. That can take place when you pray together, when you confess your sins to one another. Healing can take place, and miracles can take place. But don't always be trying to camp out on a miracle. Enjoy what God has already given you. There have been some miracles in my life, but they have been scattered through a journey of 66 years. And there's, I call them mile markers in my life where I know absolutely God met me. And you have those too, just like Israel had them. And they were to celebrate them. Something else that took place in verse uh, 44 through 46. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That doesn't mean communism. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. There are people, when I got saved, that thought, well, I had in my home, they had a right to. Have you ever bumped into people like that? No, they don't. That's stealing. But God began to teach me a way of life that I've never known. Since 1976, God has taught me to give at least a tithe to him not because some preacher told me. I didn't go. I, w- I had a ninth grade education from 76 to 80. I gave to the Lord. The Lord has blessed me abundantly. And some people in Christ have never, ever learned to give because you think the church wants your money. And that's your excuse. You got to stand before holy God and report that to him. Everything is his already. And the proof that you love him is that you release it and say, God... I understand the chores, so you taught in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to release what is yours is my way of worshiping you. I have been doing that. That takes place in a small group setting. How many times people come to church? They have no idea about the teaching of money, money that will help them in their own lives and people that have never learned to give and tithe. I will tell you this. In my journey, I have met so many people that have so little, because why? They have not learned the art or the command of giving, because they embraced all the wrong teachings about giving, and those that stand in the pulpit and preach on the name it and claim it and prosperity gospel. So therefore, they excuse themselves. Remember, when someone does wrong, a pastor does wrong, or a church member does wrong, or a Bible group leader does wrong, don't reflect that on who he is and who the church is. How often you hear, I'm not going to church anymore because of some pastor I ran into, or some Bible study teacher, or some imbecile in the church that hurt you. Don't flee from God. He's not like that. 
So giving took place. And when we see needs in our body, in our small group, okay, there are needs in the larger group. We've actually met needs in this past week here in this body. But then there are needs in that small group. You try to meet those needs in the small group. If you can't meet it, then you tell the larger group, which is us. And perhaps we might be able to meet that. Remember, they met house to house in the farming communities. And they met each other's needs. That's what this passage is talking about. That's what takes place in small group settings. I don't know all your needs. And the church is not a bank, by the way, to meet all your needs. But in a small group setting, we want to love you and care about you. And there can be some situations where no fault of your own. Perhaps it might even be your fault. And you've repented. We're going to come alongside you and love you and help you. That's the kind of heartbeat this church has. That's the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. Not something else, though, I want to leave you with in Acts 2, 46. Notice this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Two things are taking place in this situation. They met at the larger gathering. Remind you what Hebrews 10.25 says, if you want to jot this down. I didn't say it. God said it. When God says it, you believe it, and that settles it. No, that's not true. That's not the right equation. God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. Here's what he says. Let us not neglect our church meetings. Notice I get softer when I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters in Christ. If I was speaking to the world, maybe I would speak a little bit differently. Or if I was speaking to those who were impeding the progress of religion and, and faith, maybe I would speak differently like Jesus spoke. But we're family. We're all in this together. It says, let us not neglect our church meetings, as some people do. But encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. Do I have to interpret that? Do you get that? I love the church. I love God's people. It's a safe place. It's my refuge. Well, Christ. We're all in Christ. Acts 2.46, the later part says, and they met in the homes. Here's what it says in the Living Translation. They worshiped together regularly at the temple each day, met in small groups in homes for communion, and shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness. If you're our guest here today, I'm going to meet you at the back door, and I'm going to personally invite myself in your home, and I'm going to ask you to feed me. I do that in fun, saying, I want to get in your home, and I want to talk to you. We care about you. We want to tell you about these things that go on in our church so you can see how you can get plugged in. And we want to learn about you. It helps Jacob and I be better pastors as we serve you in this capacity. This is our gift. We serve you. A lot goes on behind the scenes. Some of you would say, well, I'd like to stand up there and get up there and speak. Well, by the way, I had to put this together in three hours. I didn't consult commentaries and books and, and come up, pull one out of my list of a thousand sermons that I've written. No, I got alone with the Lord, 
with my heart, knowing the heartbeat of the people that I serve, and I put this together and believe that it was God-ordained. You can do the same thing in your home with your children. You don't have to have, spend hours and hours in commentaries in school. You can read the Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You're a priest before God, and you can interpret it as Word. Amen? Amen? And so you can do the same thing in your homes and in small groups. Eat together. I love, that's the fun part. We all love eating together, right? That's fun to do. But notice what happened. The kingdom of God expanded. Please understand, it is one place where we talk properly about it when we say, God wants his kingdom to grow. And he's going to do that through you in your small group settings. Because you have people's ears that I do not have. You can share the gospel with people I could never share the gospel with. Because you've earned the trust with that individual. You've earned the right to be heard. The person that I'm sharing Christ with right now in the pickleball court, you have not earned that right to barge into that person's life and say something to him. He may not receive it at all. So why do you try to bring someone to church and ask the pastor to lead him to Jesus Christ? You do that. You tell them. You have the privilege. What a privilege you have. I love the privilege of leading other people to Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, you're missing out on one great, great experience. But it's going to begin with your children. If you messed up as a parent with your children, go apologize to them and say, I'd like to begin over being a better parent or a better grandparent. You see, what's wonderful about our Lord the Savior is you can get everything right by confessing to him your sins. The last thing I want to say is the where of small groups. Where? Our church, here's some of the small groups that take place. And by the way, I'm inviting all of you small group leaders out there. There's a little badge. If you'll put your badge on in the back so they know your name. And there's a television set back there that shows you all the little small groups that you can get in, in uh, that you become a part of. And um, it's very easy. You, you, you take your, they'll show you, take your phone and take a picture of it. And boom, it'll take you to the form and you can sign up for a small group. Or you can go home and do the same thing. But here's some of the things, just FYI. Men 40 and under, they're going to study the book of Ephesians here at uh, the church. There's a ladies group at 9 o'clock that will be meeting here. Men at any age will be studying Nehemiah. Well, that's, that's our men's group and our ladies group. And then soon to be a, a group of men 40 and under that I believe, Andrew, is it right, Andrew? You're going to be, is that the group you're leading? One of the groups you're leading? Ephesians, yeah. He's going to be leading on Sunday morning at 8.30. So you have younger people, you have older people. Any older is anybody 25 and older. When you get my age, it's 25 and older. Anybody 25 and older can be a part of that group, okay? You can be a part. That's happening on Sundays, small groups before church, because some of you are very busy during the week, raising families and kids. You got three, four, five kids. You can't be down here at the building. I understand that I raised six kids myself and 16 grandkids now. So I understand you can be busy and you can't be down here. So we offer an opportunity for you to get involved in a small group on Sundays. And trust me, these ladies care for you. These men care for you and they pray for you. Mondays, we're going to have ladies meeting here. My wife will help be help leading this. You're going to be going through 2 Corinthians via a video and book. Uh, once again, our Andrew 
he's going to be helping those with basketball skills, but he's uh, 13, I believe, the 18, somewhere around there. And the, he's going to be educating him in the scripture. So he's taking something that he does. I'm bringing this to your attention on purpose. And he's helping them learn skills, but he's also teaching them the things of God. That's a clear example how you can take anything you do and turn it into a small group for the glory of God. Tuesdays, we have AG and Trail Life. I've really gotten behind them because when Boy Scouts went bonkles and went in the other direction with the transgender stuff and the homosexuality that we need to speak out and love, but very clearly as a church, we should not be silent. Of course, AG and Trail Life uh, have been, have resulted from the actions of the world, the organizations, and we sponsor them and they meet here and you, your children can become a part of it. I wish I would have learned all those little things when I was a kid. I can't even tie a knot. You know, I mean, I could tie a shoe, but you know, the knots that tie boats and things like that and go out and make fires and skin animals. I don't know, really know how to do that yet. How about Wednesday, the parenting class? Some of you, I, you could use that, I promise you. <laughs> parenting class 101. We have that on Wednesdays for you. Marriage classes, when I do premarital counseling, I remind them. Every year, you should engage in about three or four studies of, of, of marriage so that you can be a better husband or wife. What about Latins? Uh, Latins are, will be meeting here on Fridays. Our very own Javier will be having a small group with those that struggle with the English or even know both language but seem to comprehend things easier in the Latin language and then can invite some of their Latin friends who do not know English very well to become a part of that on Friday night. We also have Bond for Life, foster care on and off on Fridays, the foster care that we just talked about. Also, Upper Room meets here on a Friday with Mike and Sean, worshiping, prayer, and going deeper in the Word where you can be loved and cared about. Look at all these small groups. Saturday, I meet with a few people and on Saturday mornings, and these people I meet with, they have to confess all their sins to me. No, I'm just teasing. So you won't want to become a part of it. No, I'm just teasing. We get together and we do life together early Saturday mornings at 7.30. I always go early because the rest of the day you may need to be home with your children, your wife. You might have things to do. In my office, we meet there at 7.30 in the morning. And then the Men of Armor, a group that Alex leads, he needs people to, to get with him to help plan these things that he plans throughout the year from Band of Brothers to our own events that we do here and we just had one recently, uh, I think it was at Steve Cassidy's house, and um, in fact, today, our group leaders are meeting at Steve's house at four o'clock. We need you to be there. I, I don't ask you to be at many meetings, guys. We don't tax you a lot on your time. So please be there so we can hear what you're, what's going on in your small groups, so we can do a better job of communicating to everyone else what's happening in the life of Victory Life Church. These and more, I may have missed one or two, but these and more are some of the small groups that we love for your benefits to get plugged into. Not because you have to, but because I believe God wants you. He gave you a gift. You may be the eye that's needed in our group. You may be the feet that's needed in our group. The houses, notice they met in houses. So churches and houses, there will be some groups meeting in houses. Philemon says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear brother and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, 
and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So there's small groups that meet in this building, and there are small groups that will actually meet in homes. One of them is Tuesday, the Bible comes alive. It's all ages. Wednesday, a young woman's group is studying Hebrews. Thursday, another group that meets in my home, the signs of the time. The reason I meet with these folks, well, what we've been through in 2020 and 2021, we get a few people together that sort of chart out some directions that we are going to go into and we can instruct our families in our church of what decisions they might need to be alerted to. We have uh, Thursday, another group, a Daniel group, a woman's group that meets. Fridays, another young couple's group, fellowship, conversation, and food. All those will be in the back that you can go look at. Don't make a beeline for the door. There's no football game today. That's next week. Sign up after the services. Once again, leaders, please go out. Small group leaders, put on your name badge so they know who you are. This is not a popularity contest. I've learned that a long time ago. If I have one, two people I can pour into, like we poured into Jacob or my other children, who then go out and communicate the gospel to other people. It's kind of like network marketing, right? All those who are involved in network marketing, you're building a team underneath you. That's God's plan. Go on our website. If you're looking in online, go to our website. Very easy for you to get involved and fill out the form. And it goes to each leader's group. Jake's is going to, rem- or we're going to remind you, Jacob and I, this afternoon, how you can look at who's in your group as they sign up. So you can send them text messages. Very important to communicate with those who signed up. Conclusion. Matthew 5.13. I actually wear a shirt made by one of our church members. It says, you are the salt. Be salt and not salty. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt, flavoring life and preserving kingdom life. Jacob and I are reading a book. Um, It's called Letters to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. What a brilliant book. Talks about if the church fails to speak out on these issues that the um, public and even Christians have bought into. You can't say anything about politics, about all the moral issues out there. You don't dare do that in the pulpit. You you don't know the history of our country. That it's the Christians that stood up against King George. It's the Christians that gave us the first hospitals. It's the Christians that gave us the first universities. It's the Christians that gave us our first educational system. Don't buy into the lie of the world that we have to be silent because of the 1913 decision that churches are tax-exempt, 5013C. I could care less if we're tax-exempt or not. We are going to speak out on the things that God wants to speak out. Otherwise, we'll be guilty of what the churches did in the 1930s of the Holocaust. And a great Christian writer by the name of Bonhoeffer wrote about how the church was silenced by the politicians and by the church members themselves. Preacher, don't you ever speak about politics or the moral issues from the pulpit. Don't you know you're not supposed to do that? Well, tell that to the founders of this country and the believers who gave their lives and their fortunes by speaking out in the pulpits of America. They spoke out on slavery. They spoke out on gender issues in the pulpits of America. We once again need to be bold in our proclamation, but be wise as servants. That begins in the small groups.
and then it spreads to the larger groups. We need to be bold and speak out. If any of you want to get that book, by the way, I think Jacob and I are going to be making available that to, to you and me. But we are the salt of the earth, preserving morality. By the way, a, a, a pastor in um, Jacksonville, Florida, was raped over the coals because of what their church constitution said of the stance that they'll take about these issues that the public is embracing and wants you and me to embrace. And they were raked over the coals and they're trying to take them to court on it. It's coming to you and me. It's already come to us. And if we don't take a stand together as a church, we're going to be just as guilty of the churches that were silent during the Holocaust when they came after all the Jewish people and tried to exterminate them. They wanted to exterminate you. They want America to lose her influence. And it's the church that gave our country the concept of liberty, not the worldly people. You are the light of the world, shining the light on the path that leads to eternal life. We are the body of Christ. He said, unless you remain in him, you will not bear any fruit at all. That fruit begins when you accept Christ as your Savior. The Holy Spirit comes in you. You can do that today online or here this morning. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and rebellion against him. And put your faith in Jesus that he's the Messiah that died for your sins on the cross. God judged him instead of you and me. And he said, if you believe in him, you have eternal life. I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you start living for me for the kingdom of God. Would you stand at this time? This has been more of a practical sermon. This is for you. This is to benefit you, but it is also to bless our Savior and our King, Yahweh, and advance His kingdom. Please, church, get involved in a small group today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.